We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to our Smyrna campus. We're so glad you're here. Anybody that's connecting with us online, we're so glad you found us and connected with us that way. Uh, we have been in a series called Three Days That Changed the World. And today, we're coming to the conclusion of that series. And the message today is entitled, He Will Return. So obviously, we're focusing on the idea that Jesus is coming back. Remember this whole series we began, it's based on a passage in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 3, where Paul tells us this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Now, if you've been here for the series, especially if you were here last week, you know we left off with the fact that after Jesus rose from the dead, for the next 40 days, he appeared to his disciples and to hundreds of other people, giving them plenty of evidence that he was alive, that he really had conquered sin and death. So if you missed that, you can go back to our own website and you can catch that message. Uh, but the evidence is overwhelming. But you also may remember that at the end of that 40-day period, he ascended back to the Father. And, and we have a record of that in Acts 1 and verse 9. It says this. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And he adds these words. This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. So there's that promise again. It's not the first time this promise has appeared. But it is repeated here with emphasis as they saw him ascend back to the Father, as they were still looking up into the sky, these, these beings from heaven appeared and say, you're going to see Jesus again. He's going to come back the same way you saw him leave. Now he left in the clouds. So he's saying he's going to come back like that in the clouds. It's a reminder of a promise. Jesus had made this promise earlier in John 14. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't have told you about this and the, and the fact that my father's house has room for you if I wasn't going to come back and get you and take you to be where I am. He promised them that already. And now these messengers from heaven remind these disciples that Jesus is coming back. This is a dominant theme in all of Scripture. Now, we've been focusing on what we call three days that changed the world, right? The death, burial, and resurrection. And that all that happened in that three-day period is critical. And it's really critical leading up to the fact that now we're at this place where he has accomplished all of those things. So what's next? What's next? And one of the things that should drive us as Christ followers that should be a driving force in our lives and what's next for us is living in light of the promise that he's coming back again that should be dominant in our lives because it's dominant in scripture one out of every 30 verses in the new testament is related to his return it's mentioned in 260 chapters in the new testament end times and the return of jesus are talked about in 260 chapters of the new testament in the book of Revelation alone, Jesus says specifically three times, I am coming soon. 
So do you think he wants us to live with that expectation? To live life in light of the fact that Jesus is going to keep his promise to come back. And you see, all that we've been looking at, all the evidence we've been seeing, all of the fulfillment of prophecy should convince us that God keeps all of his promises. So if he's kept every other promise, don't you think he's going to keep this one too? That Jesus is going to come back just like he promised he was going to come back. There is a lot of, and have been, has been throughout the years, a lot of discussion and debate. And some of the worst arguments I've seen among Christian teachers have been about this subject, the coming of Jesus. Mostly about when and how it's going to happen. Uh, there is a word for that. We like to label things in a way that makes us sound smart. So we gave this a word that sounds smart. It's the study of eschatology. Doesn't that sound impressive? Eschatology. You know what that means? End times. That's what that means. But it's, it dresses it up, doesn't it? End times eschatology. So you could be an eschatologist. Ooh, doesn't that sound impressive? I'm an eschatologist. I'm a student of the end times. But there's been a lot of disagreement. You remember that we've got this saying at Lakeshore that I think applies to this subject. Given enough time and opportunity, we human beings can do what? We can mess it up. And when it comes to the subject of the end times, we've done a great job of messing this up, of making it a point of division instead of a rallying cry that brings us together as a church. We made it a, a thing of arguments and discussions that get heated instead of something that unites us and, and empowers us and motivates us to do what God has called us to do while we wait for his return. See, Satan loves that kind of thing. To get us distracted arguing with each other instead of doing what we're supposed to be doing in the meantime. I mean, if he could get Christians off in little meetings and huddles and, and fights and squabbles and discussions and keep us from reaching people for Christ, he loves that. He loves that. So today, I want us to take some time to, to think through this. And, and here's, here's what the discussion often comes down to for a lot of Christ followers. It is your position on what we call the millennium, okay? The millennial, uh, millennium means a thousand years, and in Revelation it talks about a thousand-year period a couple of times, and, and so people have built a whole theology around this thousand-year period, and, and you could come down on, on one of three main, uh, sub, main uh, groups here. One is the premillennial group, one is the amillennial group, and one is the postmillennial group. Now, which one are you? Most of you probably don't know. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which one of those camps you're in. It doesn't matter if you know which camp you're in. It's got nothing to do with your salvation. It's got nothing to do with how you ought to be living your life right now. It doesn't change anything in any way for what God wants for your life on which camp you're in when it comes to end times. Now, you can break it down even more. Within the premillennial position, there's three more different positions within that position, Right? And the same thing with amillennial and postmillennial. There's groups within those groups that disagree with each other and argue with each other about how things are going to happen in the end times. Now, we live in an age where you can now self-identify as anything you want to be, right? I would like to self-identify as 6'4". Most of you aren't going to buy that, but 
I can believe whatever I want to believe, right? In this culture and our world today, you just self-identify as whatever you want to be. So when it comes to the millennium, here's what I've decided. I self-identify as pro-millennial. That means I'm for whatever God wants to do whenever he wants to do it. I'm, I'm for it. You know what I learned a long time ago? God didn't put me on the planning committee for the coming of Jesus. He put me on the welcoming committee. And you too. You are on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. You're not in charge of this. You don't control this. You don't even have to figure out the details of how it's going to happen. You're not on the planning committee. You, those aren't your responsibilities. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to welcome Jesus when he comes. And whatever he does then, I'm all for it. I, I support it 100%. And I don't care if it's premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial with what happens then. It doesn't matter if I've done what God has called me to do. If I've prepared the way God has called me to prepare, it does not matter which position. So instead of this being a divisive thing for the church, the way Satan wants it to be, this should be one of the most exciting, unifying things that we talk about as followers of Jesus Christ. It should be something that really gets us pumped up to think that Jesus is going to keep yet this next promise that he made, that he's going to come back again. So, if you read all the scriptures about end times, and, and don't do it right now, but I recommend, you know, you spend some time just reading some passages. There are a lot of different passages that talk about end times. I get people all the time, if I were to do a survey and say, what do you want me to preach on? A lot of people would say the book of Revelation. You know why? They think somehow we're going to figure it all out. I'm not that smart. I'm not. I got my opinion. I got my ideas. And they're worth just as much as and just as little as anybody else's opinions and ideas about those things. And God hasn't asked us to settle that as a church. He hasn't asked us to find the one right answer and, and push that down everybody's throat. He hasn't asked the church to do that. What he has told the church to do is get as many people ready for the coming as we can with the time that we have. That's what he's commanded us to do as a church. And so it's okay to look at all those passages and study it. And if you're interested in that stuff, I don't, I don't want to discourage you from reading it. Just don't get consumed with this to the point that it keeps you from living the life God wants you to be living in the meantime. Don't let it get you sidetracked. Don't let it get you focused on the wrong things with the time that God gives you on this earth. Stop trying to figure out and read into everything that happens in the world as if somehow it's pointing to how you can now figure out when Jesus is coming back. Stop wasting your time on that. I can, I can really, and I'm not going to do this today because I've got a lot more time, but I can narrow this sermon down to just two words. I, all the scriptures about the end times, eschatology, doesn't that sound better? All the eschatological positions that you could come to, no matter which one it is, it comes down to two words. Be ready. Be ready. Live every day ready for the coming of Christ. That's really what it boils down to for everybody in every church and all the world for all time. Be ready. But I do want to spend some time on a passage today that, that breaks down for us a little bit about what it means to live ready, to be ready 
for the coming of Jesus Christ. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there or pull it up on your smartphone or tablet. 2 Peter 3, uh, starting with verse 3, we have some teaching about how we need to be ready for the end times. And the first thing he brings up is this. Show you how, how deep I get with eschatology. Listen to me. Scoffers will be scoffing. Isn't that deep? Scoffers will be scoffing. You say, what's a scoffer? A scoffer is somebody that ridicules and makes fun and questions Christians for believing that Jesus is going to come back. Here's what he says. Pick up with verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, oh man, Christians love that phrase, the last days. They ask me all the time, Pastor Randy, is this, are we living in the last days? And I can tell you every single time to every person, yes. And we have been since Jesus ascended back to the Father. We've been in the last days that whole time. Last days, the word for days there means age of the earth. We're in the last age of the earth. We have been since Jesus came in the last age. It doesn't mean some particular thing that happened this week in the news means we're in the last days. We already knew we were in the last days. That shouldn't surprise anybody. It shouldn't make you think, oh no, that happened, it means we're in the last days. Of course we are, we have been. Before that happened, we were in the last days already. We've been in the last age of the earth the whole time. And all this stuff has been happening the whole time. Listen, listen to what he says. In the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing, remember I said, what, what are scoffers going to be doing? See, I want you to leave here with deep theological discussions you can have with other people. Scoffers will be what? Very good. All right. They're going to come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Here's how you're going to know scoffers. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Right? They, they understood Christians were claiming that Jesus is returning. In fact, the early church made this a predominant message as Christ followers. They talked constantly about the fact that Jesus was coming back. And we needed to be ready for it. That's how they lived. That's how they made decisions in their lives. That's, that's how they, they decided what was important and what was not important. It was in light of the fact that Christ is coming back. Now, we've lost some of that because of the scoffers and their scoffing about, well, where is this coming? It's been a long time now. He said he was coming back, right? Here's their argument. Ever since our ancestors died, everything does what? goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. You know what we have the tendency to do? Every generation does this. The times are getting worse and worse and worse. That means it's time for Jesus to come back. You can list anything that's going on today, and if you're a student of history at all, you can find times before this time where that same stuff was going on. It has been going on the whole time. Climate change has been happening forever. Earthquakes, storms, fires, floods, they've been happening throughout all of history. Right? People turning away from God, people turning away from their families, people living just totally uh, ungodly lives. How long has that been happening? Forever. Adam and Eve got it all started. Right? Are you going to be able to figure it out by that? No. 
You're not even supposed to be trying to figure it out by that. That's the whole point. Is stuff is going to be going on like that the whole time when Jesus comes back. That's not going to change. It's not going to be different. Now, in our lifetime, have things changed in our particular country? Guess what? We're not the only people on the earth. There are other countries where this kind of stuff was already going on long before the U.S. started having these problems that we're having now. And have we had some of that in the U.S. the whole time? Absolutely. Has it gotten worse in my lifetime? Yes, but it's been worse in other places for a long time. Absolutely. Is that a sign Jesus is coming back? Yes, but that's been happening the whole time. So yes, are we in the last days? Are we? Yes. Have we have been the whole time? Yeah, we have been. So here's what he says. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What he reminds them of is God has in the past done exactly what he said he was going to do. He spoke the words for creation, and what happened? Creation happened. He warned them of a coming flood. And what happened? A flood. He warned them of the destruction of the ungodly. And what happened? The godly were destroyed. Ungodly were destroyed. He says, based on the evidence, what should you believe now? That God's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Uh, it's almost really hilarious when you think about the argument that Jesus isn't coming back, and their argument is because he hasn't yet. Really? I thought I missed it. That's what I love about Christians, is, is we're worried about this thing happening and the way it's going to happen. And we don't really understand it, but we all know this. Kurt Cameron's got to be in the middle of it, right? <laughs> and none of us want to be left behind, right? None of us. We've been in the last days the whole time. This stuff's been going on the whole time. More so in some parts of the world than other parts of the world at different times. But it's been going on the whole time. Don't live in a bubble and think only what happens in the U.S. is going to determine when Jesus comes back. Of course not. God's the God of the whole world, of the whole universe. And this stuff's been going on around the world the whole time. And he says that Scoffers are going to be scoffing, and you shouldn't make your decision on this based on the fact that people are going to ridicule and scoff and make fun of it. They made fun of a lot of things that turned out to be true. Remember how they made fun of Noah when he built the ark, and then what happened? The flood came, right? Scoffers were there for Noah, too, and what were they doing? Scoffing. Yeah. I don't want you to leave here without that stuck in your head. <laughs> Scoffers are going to be scoffing. Haters are going to be hating, right? They're going to be doing it. So don't make your decision based on the fact that there are haters out there, that there are scoffers out there. Base your decision, what you believe about this, on the evidence of Scripture and the evidence of history of what God's always done. He's always kept every promise. So here's the question for Christians. It has been a long time. So what's the delay? 
I want to take just a moment at it. Look at verses 8 and 9 here. What's the delay with Christ coming back? Well, he gives us some insight. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, that's hard for us to grasp because we live in such a time-sensitive, influenced existence, don't we? We are all controlled by the pressures of time. And depending on what's going on in your life, one day can go really fast. And one day can seem like it's never going to end. And we are, as we age and as we go through more life experience, what we begin to realize is our days are numbered and we're going to run out of days on this earth. And we are pressured by that. But let me ask you something. Is an eternal God ever going to run out of days? No. Opportunities to do what he said he was going to do? No. God doesn't live in the same existence as we live. He doesn't exist in the same time constraints that we exist in. A day is like a thousand years for him. A thousand years is like a day for him. It's like the guy, you've heard me tell the joke about the guy that went to pray to God and said, God, uh, is it true that for you a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day? And God said to him, yes, that's true. He says, well, in that case, wouldn't it be like for you, uh, $10 million is like $10 to you? He said, yeah, it's a lot like that. And he said, well, God, could you give me $10? He said, yeah, I'll give it to you in a couple of days. <laughs> you see, he's not bound by any of those kinds of restraints that we are bound by at all. And it may seem like it's been a long time since this promise was made to us and our limited existence. But in God's eyes, it's just been a couple of days since he made that promise. In his way of looking at time, if you're eternal, there are no restraints or boundaries to time. And I know it's hard for us to grasp that. But, but he goes on to say that. All right, He's not bound by that. He doesn't look at it that way. In verse 9, he says this. The Lord is not, what's that word? slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he is what what's that word patient with you why he's not wanting anyone to what perish but everyone to come to repentance he's saying there's a good reason god is delayed his coming sending jesus back again and it's not because he's slow getting around to it what we have a hard time understanding is there's a big difference with being slow and being patient. I am not really good with patience. I just confess that all the time. I don't ask God to give me patience. I learned a long time ago not to do that. Because the only way to get patience is to learn patience. And the only way to learn patience is to have it tried over and over again and tested over and over again. So I never ask God to teach me patience or to give me patience. But I, I try to work on it because when I know something needs to be done or I think something needs to be done, I just want to jump out there and start on it and get it done. And my wife is always having to say, now, Randy, back up a little, slow down, okay? I tend to sometimes not do it as well and as well thought out as I need to because I'm not as patient with it as I needed to be, especially household projects, right? My favorite tool is duct tape because <laughs> it's quick and it's easy, right? You can fix a lot of stuff temporarily with duct tape. It doesn't usually last very long. 
Suanne was telling us one of the kids was talking about teaching, one of the parents was talking about teaching their, teaching their child to mow the grass. And uh, the boy was talking to me about how he needed just some shoes he could wear to mow the grass. And Sue Ann said, yeah, Pastor Andy's got gra- uh, shoes that he mows the grass in. Uh, and he has held them together with duct tape. And I wish I could say that wasn't true, but it is. <laughs> now, I retired those shoes at the end of the mowing season last year. Because the duct tape just couldn't do it anymore. But I got two more mowing seasons out of those shoes with duct tape after the soles blew out on them. Okay? I just put them on, wrapped them with duct tape, and mowed the yard. And Sue Ann was so embarrassed that people would come by and see me. Right? A lack of patience is a hard thing. Well, here's the thing about God. God is patient with us. With a purpose. And, and friends, I want you to understand what this means about the love of God for anybody here today that's not ready for the coming of Jesus. It is purely because of his love for you and his grace toward you that Jesus hasn't already come back. Because he wants to give you every chance he can to get ready, to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And if you've got a husband or a wife that's not ready, a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister that's not ready, every day that God delays is an expression of the patience and the love and the grace of God. And yeah, there's some days I wish he would just come on, but then I think about some people who aren't ready yet, and I thank God for waiting and giving them one more chance to get ready. See, he's telling us about how much God loves us and how much God does not want anyone to be unprepared when Jesus comes back. It's not God's desire that anyone should perish. That's not what God wants. It is not in the will of God for anyone to miss out on the promise of salvation. That's not what God wants for anybody. What God wants is for you to get ready, to be prepared with the time and opportunity that he's given you. And so if he delays it one more day, if he gives us today, he's giving it to us with a purpose. So that if you are not yet prepared, you take care of that today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, right? This is the time. This is the opportunity. While you've got the chance Because there's no more days guaranteed. Why? We are in the last days. Jesus could come back any time. And he's delaying it long enough to give you the chance to get ready. So he's not slow. Slow and patience are not the same. Slow and patient are not the same thing. And he's being patient, not being slow. He goes on later in verse 15 of this chapter. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you in the wisdom that God gave him. Peter St. Paul also talked about this. He talked about how, how when God's delaying his coming, it's because he's being patient and he's wanting one more person to know salvation through Jesus. That's what he's waiting for, giving you that chance. And that leads us to the third thing today, and that's this. Based on the evidence and the testimony, we can know he is coming. So what are those two words? The whole thing? Be ready. Be ready. We know he's coming. 
We know we're in the last days. We have been the whole time. We know the only reason he hasn't come yet is because he's being patient. So that leads us to this conclusion. Just be ready. Be ready. He's coming. Let's pick up with verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a what? A thief. Uh, now, I know thieves aren't always the smartest people in the world. But most any thief will not give you clues to follow along with before they come break into your house to get you ready for it. Most of them will not send you a message ahead of time. Most of them will not say, here are the signs so you can read the signs and you can know this night on this date I'm going to come break into your house and steal your stuff. Right? Thieves don't do that. And he says, the coming of the Lord is like a thief coming in the night. Which means he's not going to clue you in on it ahead of time. He's not going to announce it for you in advance. It's just going to happen. He says, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything, uh, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Laid bare means exposed. You see, when Jesus comes back, everything that was hidden is going to be what? Revealed. It's going to be exposed. You think you've gotten by with it. People think they've gotten by with evil and with sin, with crime, with, with destructive deeds, with, with, with destructive words. All those things we think are hidden. When Jesus comes back, it's all going to be exposed. Laid bare. Okay? He says in verse 11, all right, in light of that, here's what you need to do. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live what kind of lives? Holy and godly lives as you, what's that word? Look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. All right, so he says, if you're living holy, godly lives, then it means you can do what then when, when, when you talk about the second coming? You can look forward to it. If you live ready, then you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live worried and frantic about what if it happens today. If you're not hiding anything and you've confessed it and you've received God's grace and His forgiveness and His mercy already, you've got the covering of the blood of Jesus, then when Jesus comes back, do you have anything to worry about? No. So he's saying, Christians, those who, who are followers of Jesus, that's what a Christian is, those who follow his teachings, he's not saying you're perfect, he's saying you're covered by, you're clothed with Christ, you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you're following his teaching in your life. If you're living that way, do you even have to worry about the second coming? No. You just live ready every day, and you look forward to it whenever it happens. Isn't that a better way to live life? Isn't that a better way to experience the days that you have here? Instead of getting all caught up in when and how and all the details, wouldn't it be a lot more fun just to look forward to it because you are not on the planning committee, you're on the what? Welcoming committee. You're just looking forward to welcoming Jesus when he comes because you know you've got your life in order and you're ready for the coming of Jesus. So he says, live those godly lives. Look forward to the day of God. 
He says, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. That's real global warming right there, buddy. It says in verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward. He says, all right, we know this earth is going to be destroyed. The heaven and earth as we know it now, this is going to be destroyed. But we can look forward in keeping with his promise. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, just as we're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you in the wisdom that God gave him. So I wanted to close with thinking about it like planning an upcoming trip that you are excited about. Any of you got a vacation coming up you're excited about? A few of you do. That's great. All right. You're, so for some of you, it's Disney World. Boy, just thinking about taking the family to Disney World. To me, that's not something I would look forward to. But, but some people really love that, and, and they're all about it, and that's fine. Some people love cruises. I don't want to go on a cruise. I can tell you that right now. I just don't like cruises. Uh, too many times those ships get stranded out there. The disease breaks out. All ca- you know, plumbing backs up. Everything goes wrong. So I don't want to be, I don't want to be out there for that. Okay? All right? Now, I know some of you love cruises, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's fine, all right, if you love that. Whatever you like, though, for me, it's the beach. I love the beach, and I love planning. You know, we've got a beach trip that we plan with our family this summer, and I'm looking forward to it. So excited about it. Some of you don't like the beach at all. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. <laughs> all right. I want to be surfing again. I want to try some of that again. I want to have some fun with that, and, and I look forward to it. So let's think about it this way. If you're planning uh, an upcoming trip that you're really looking forward to, this is how I want you to think about the second coming of Jesus, okay? Like something you're looking forward to and planning for, all right? If you're planning for a trip, there's three phases. I want to break it down real quick, three phases of planning that trip. The first one is the deciding phase, right? The deciding phase. You've got to decide where you're going on the trip, all right? So when it comes to the coming of Jesus, you've got two choices, The Bible makes this clear. There's no doubt about it. There's no debate over this. Whether you're amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, at some point it comes down to a choice between these two places. The Bible describes these places for us. It's like they have vacation brochures that they printed up, right? Here's what this place is like. Here's what this place is like. And it talks about heaven as a place where there's no more pain, There's no more death or dying where God is there with us and he wipes every tear from our eyes. Everything's great about this place. But he also describes another place for us. It's called hell. And for ages, men have tried to lighten the concept of hell just in case they end up going there. They don't want to think about it as being all that bad. But when you read the descriptions in Scripture... God doesn't want us to be caught off guard by this. That's why he tells us about it ahead of time. He tells us what hell is like. And in spite of that, there are people who are trying to act all cool and all tough who act like it's no big deal if they end up going to hell. Recently, there was a movie that came out called Bohemian Rhapsody. And it really features the life of Freddie Mercury. Now, Freddie was the lead vocalist for the band Queen. Uh, And Freddie flamboyantly lived outside of God's plan and will for his life and did it in a very rebellious way. Uh, Now, he was one of the most phenomenal vocalists you could ever hear. 
could sing four octaves, no problem with the range of four octave range, and just very few singers could do what he could do. It was amazing. I love his music. But here's what he said. Oh, I was not made for heaven. No, I don't want to go to heaven. Hell is much better. Think of all the interesting people we're going to meet down there. That was his approach to this choice. Now, the reason I bring that up is, is Freddie Mercury's not alone in that. So many people are just standing rebellious before God and saying, I'm not worried about hell. I don't care about going to hell. It's no big deal to me. And that's sad because the scripture says God allows you to have that choice. And if that's what you choose, God will allow you to have your way. But it describes hell for us in a lot of passages. One is Mark 9, verse 47 and 48. It says this. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Does that sound like the vacation spot you would want to go to? No. You see, the same God that tells us all about the beauty of heaven warns us about the consequences of hell, the pain and the agony and the suffering. Now, why would God do that? Because he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to ever end up there. Because it's real, and people will go there if they choose to go there, and God has done everything he can to block the gates of hell so that you don't go in there. But he still gives you the choice. If you want to be like Freddie Mercury, and I pray that he didn't leave this world with that decision, we don't know if he ever changed. He didn't give us any indication that he did. God will let you get your way. The Bible says God's will is that his desire is that you choose life. That you and your children and your descendants would live. Have the life that he wants you to have. But he does give you the choice. So in the preparation phase... Uh, in the deciding phase, you get to decide which place you want to go. And here's the thing about the love of God. The only reason you even get a choice is because Jesus died for you on the cross. That's the only reason you even have a choice, that I even have a choice. You see, left without that payment he made on the cross, all of us would be going to hell. Me and you and everybody here, we'd all be going there. But because Jesus died for us on the cross, took our place there, we now have the opportunity to choose heaven instead of hell. So we've got the deciding phase. All right, If you decide where you want to go, then what's next? It's the preparation phase. You get ready for the trip. My getting ready for a trip is the morning we're leaving, I throw a few things in the suitcase. My wife, however, bless her heart, does all the real hard work preparation, right? She knows what it's going to take. She knows what we're going to have to have. And she works on all that stuff behind the scenes to get everything ready so we can really enjoy the trip. And I appreciate that about her because there is preparation that will make the trip better, that will make the anticipation of the trip even better. Have you ever been, you know you're leaving on the trip the next morning and you can't even enjoy getting ready to go because you know you've waited to the last minute to do it and it robs you of all the joy of going on the trip because you waited so long? Wouldn't you enjoy that time more if you went ahead and got ready, got prepared ahead of time? That's what God wants us to do. Look at Matthew 24. Jesus already, 
already people are arguing about when the kingdom of God, when God's going to restore the kingdom, when, when all this stuff is going to happen. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, who knows? No one knows. Listen to how emphatic he is. Not even the angels in heaven, nor who? The Son, but only the Father. A lot of people have sold a lot of books and videos telling you they've got it figured out. they got charts and graphs and timelines. They're telling you what's happening in the Middle East. They're telling you what's happening here and there. And they've got it all figured out. And throughout the ages, men have even said dates, particular dates, where Jesus was going to come back. And up till now, every one of them has been what? Wrong because he hasn't come yet. Right? You know why they haven't got it figured out? Because they don't know, and neither do you or me. We can't figure this out. We're not supposed to waste our time trying to figure it out. That's not God's plan for our lives. That's not what he wants us to be using our time and our intelligence and our wisdom and our knowledge and our giftedness for. That's a waste of this time. Because the key is to what? Be ready and get as many other people ready as we possibly can for whenever it happens. That's how we're supposed to be using our time. That's true if you're post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial, or pro-millennial like me. You use this time to get ready and get as many other people ready as you possibly can. So he says, he reminds us, as it was in the days of Noah, so he uses that illustration again, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Listen to this, how he describes the days before the flood. Here's what people were doing. People were eating and drinking. We got anybody eating and drinking today? Yeah. Some of you are going to a restaurant right after church, right? We'll be doing some eating and drinking. Some of you ate and drank this morning when you had breakfast, right? Even if you didn't eat, you drank. Some of you had your coffee, and I'm glad you did because I wouldn't want you to be here without it. Okay? People will be eating and drinking. So are we in an age where people are eating and drinking? Yes. All right. Here's what else they'll be doing. They'll be marrying and giving in marriage are people still doing that today this is an age where people are marrying and giving people away in marriage right so are we in an age where that's going on yes okay all right Uh, up to the day Noah entered the ark they were doing those things and they knew nothing about what would happen until what came the flood came and took them all away and he adds this this is how it will be at the coming of the son of man How much more clear could Jesus get in telling us what a waste of time it is to try to figure this out? Let's stop wasting our energy and our wisdom and our education and our our time trying to get this thing figured out that we can never figure out. What a waste of valuable time that God has given us to get ready and get other people ready. Let's just do our job. Let's live our life the way God wants us to be living our lives as we wait for and anticipate and even look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Because if you're ready and your family's ready, what can you do? You can really look forward to this whenever it happens. You can be excited about it whenever it happens. Luke 12 and verse 40, it says, You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. <laughs> I know how you can know for sure you don't know 
Just act like you do. You didn't follow me, did you? I know how I can know for sure you don't know, and that is when you think you do know. That's a guarantee that you don't know as soon as you start thinking you do. Because he says it will be at a time you do not know. You cannot figure this out. And if it's something that's impossible to figure out, why in the world are so many Christians and teacher, Christian teachers and leaders wasting so much time and effort on this? Let's just be ready and get other people ready. Which leads to the last phase of this trip, right? You decide where you're going to go. You start getting ready. When you're ready, you can be excited about it. And that leads to that third phase, the anticipation phase. Man, that's the exciting phase. That's the fun phase. That's when it really gets fun. When you know you're ready and you know what's going to happen and you're all excited. Uh, man, those are, are fun times. Because you have confidence, you have assurance, you have peace about it. Now, I have peace about it because I know my wife will have everything ready right, for our trip. So I can be at peace because I know she's got it covered. See, when you know everything's in order, life is a lot more fun. And you can live with joyful anticipation at the coming of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, it says this. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Man, that's something to get excited about. That's something to live joyfully anticipating what God has prepared for those who love Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that today we are reminded of those three days that changed the world. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ means that He's alive, He's reigning at Your right hand, and He's preparing to return to take us to be with Him forever. Father, I pray that Everyone hearing this message today, with the opportunity you've given us and we've given them, that they would be ready. Because when you're ready, when you know you have made things ready by, by submitting to, Lord, to the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, by repenting of sin, being baptized into Christ, you're clothed with Christ, you're covered by His blood. When you live like that, walking in obedience to His Word, there's every reason to joyfully anticipate the appearing of Jesus. Father, I pray that if there's someone today who needs to make that preparation, that today would be the time of salvation for them. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.